Hey, welcome to the Portrait Church Podcast. My name is Jay Stovall, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Portrait Church. I thank you for tuning in to our podcast channel. The message that you are about to listen to is from our preview services. These services were opportunities for people to experience the culture, DNA, and vision of Portrait Church, which is to give people a renewed picture of Jesus and his church. I thank you for listening in. If you want to know more about our church, you can visit portrait.church or come hang out with us on Sundays at the Mitten Building. I hope you enjoy this message. What we've really tried to do with these preview services is to be kind with being clear about who we are as a church and probably who we're not. I think there's going to be some level of kindness as we explore the way of Jesus that will help you understand and see truly the things that we say we want to be about. I don't know if you know this, but we live in a world that loves slogans that loves flags. I mean, you name it, politics, the social, like uh, it's a world that has, that has raised a banner about who they believe they are to be, the type of community that they want to create, the tribe that they're connected to. But can I be honest, as we step into this preview service, and if you've been with us before, the thing that I hope you see with Portrait is that we are going to raise the banner of Jesus. Every single time. So if you are here and you're looking for a church to tell you everything you want to hear, to feed your political ego, to to create a community that just looks like and acts like you, can I just be kind and tell you that's not going to be us? You know, when we raised this portrait flag, which, mind you, when I ordered it, I did not know it was going to be that big. But this morning, I was telling our team, when we raised it, I just got this picture that what we're trying to do is is create a stake in the city of the Inland Empire that God is going to be glorified here and people are going to know his name, that they are going to get a renewed picture of Jesus and his church. Because here's what I know, that many of you, it took a ton of courage to even step into church like at all. It took a ton of courage to do that. And I just want to honor you right now and say thank you. Many, yeah. Many of you, and I've talked to some of you, it's been over 10 years, 20 years since you've been in a church. And for whatever reason, God is just trying to capture your heart to say, try again. Listen, we're so glad you're here. We want to we want to do this thing that the Bible says is called steward. We really want to take care of these relationships. So all, everything that we try and do is intentionally built around connecting with you because your portrait matters. And for us, the head of the church is Jesus. And we want to reflect his portrait. So this morning, I pray that I could be kind, uh, that I could be clear, um, and that ultimately you leave way more impressed with Jesus than me and this church. Can we do that? All right, Jesus, thank you for being a God who has provided this space for us, for being a God who, is, who knew we were going to be here even before we even knew it. 
God, you are, as, as we've talked to so many people in this community, you have gone before and heard the prayers of many people in this room who are just searching for something, and they're giving you a try. They're giving church a try. So God, we, we don't want to do anything to just try and please people and make people happy. We, we really want to give people clarity around who you are. So would we be able to do that and glorify your name? And we all said, amen. So I was about, uh, see, do the math, nine years old. And hopefully you don't know the date of this because I'm not trying to date myself. But I was about nine years old when something came on the TV of news of this major world influential person that had passed away. And back then, we didn't have social media, so it wasn't like this was like trending and we could, whoa, what happened? What, what was going on there? Who died? But this news was so big, this person was so influential that it sent shockwaves throughout the entire world. The Princess of Wales had died. And in the late 80s, just to give you context of how significant she was, over 750 million people viewed her wedding. Again, this is before social media. This is before like the live, over 750 million people viewed her wedding. That's like six times the Super Bowl. So when she died, it was stated that historians believe that 2 billion people stopped to watch and pay their respects to her. Y'all, that's like one in every three people across the world paying the respects of her death. And Diana was known and loved by many. Again, as a nine-year-old, I'm like, who's this princess? You know, did, you know is, she any, is she connected to Mario, some Super Mario? Like, I'm just trying to understand, like, is this the princess that's in the castle? I didn't really get it, right? But as you get older, it's like you just begin to realize the significance because these people's legacies, their names continue to live on. Historians talk about them. And one of the things about Diana that many people said was that she was known and beloved by many. And the interesting thing about her was, yes, the, the majesty, the royalty, but what everyone talks about is what she did with her royalty. You see, Diana, in 1987, she was the first person of public to actually reach across and shake the hands of someone who had HIV. And at that point in time, like, she was able to put a face and a person behind the stigma of the disease. When landmines had left war-torn countries destroyed and in disarray, she actually visited Angola, and she walked through a landmine field to bring about awareness of what was happening to these countries. And months after her death, the landmine treaty would be signed. One doctor described Diana as going from room to room, speaking with people who were disfigured, who had limbs just missing, and caressing their hand, showing them dignity. The doctor said even nurses, when they stepped into the room, there was a level of apprehension because of how bad it looked inside, but not for Diana. 
One author would describe Diana with these words. She was simply royalty. But is what she did with it. You see, Diana's majesty was different. I guess majesty in Diana stooped. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus know something about majesty coming off the throne. We know something about majesty coming down through time and space, putting on human flesh, as Philippians 2, 4, through, uh, Philippians 2, 6 says, this Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing becoming the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man. And listen to what it says about Jesus coming off his throne. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. John says something in the book of John. It's a, it's a gospel account. It's, it's tracking the life of Jesus. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then a few verses later, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelt among us. So here's the deal. While every other religious world religion wants you to climb up the ladder of moral works and good behavior, Jesus is the only one who came down. The only one who came down. In some ways, his majesty stooped. And here's one of the most significant things about Jesus's leadership that I think our world is desperately searching for, whether they know it or not. Jesus leads, and before he saves and redeems us, he puts on human flesh and he empathizes with us. He puts on human flesh and he empathizes with us. And I think this picture of Jesus is desperately needed in a world that is trying to figure out how do we have compassion and what does empathy look like? Because all the questions that I get about our church, all the all the apprehensions people have is, are you going to be safe for me to be my person and wrestle with my doubt here? Because I am struggling. I'm trying to make sense of the world and life and meaning. So is your church, in many ways, the, 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 the motive behind the question is, am I going to be safe here to really process out this thing called faith? Or do I have to perform? Do I have to make sure that I always act right? And so empathy is your ability to, to not only understand, but to identify someone else's pain or burden. I think it's more than just standing in someone's shoes, but it's fully embracing what does it look like to sit in your burden, to sit in it. You know, I know it's really easy to talk about Jesus' love, but what about the, the catalyst that, that caused that love to be so compelling? Listen to what Hebrews 4, 16 says. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Check that out. 
We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Tempted in every way, but did not sin. The thing I love about Jesus' leadership, he says, I'm not calling you to do something that I have not stooped down and done myself. Oh, what, like, y'all, like, what, what kind of world would, would that be that we lived in where those who were in the highest of power, highest of privilege, highest authority said, you know what? I'm gonna empty myself out fully so that I may serve you and not only see you as charity, but see your actual burdens and what it is you're going through. Jesus came and he sat in the seat of life. He put on human flesh, tempted in every single way. And this church wants to pursue empathy like that. We want people who are struggling with their faith to come into this place and say, man, this this church actually wants to understand me. They actually want to see the pain that I've experienced. We want people who have even been hurt by the very people God gave the message. Here's the thing. I'm going to be honest. I think the best thing about Jesus is that he has messengers and people like us that can go and proclaim his word. But the hard part about that is we are really messed up and we do a bad job of doing that. And so there's going to be a lot of hurt. And what I'm saying is we want you to engage portrait in a healthy way. And sometimes that looks like addressing the hurt and the pain. And we want this to be a place that you can do that. Many of you are struggling with life's greatest questions. Who am I? Why was I created? Why do bad things happen? What is my purpose here? What happens when I die? And we want this to be a place where you are not apprehensive to come in, but you are like, finally, I found a place that I can just bring my person, not my persona. I found a place that they have this compelling faith about them and they're inviting me in to explore what that looks like. So in order for us to understand empathy in the way of Jesus, what I would love to do something is a little different. I would love to tell you what empathy is not so that we can maybe get clarity on what empathy is. So the first thing empathy is not is empathy empathy is not fixing. Empathy is not fixing. Here's the thing. One of the hardest things to do is to sit in someone else's burden, to sit in someone else's pain, and resist the temptation to fix them. Right? Many of you have been hurt by the church because you have all these struggles, and people are just telling you, you know what, girl, you need to read more. You need to pray more. Maybe it's because you haven't been showing up to church all the time. What happens is when we try to fix What we end up doing, when we try and fix, especially too soon, we give man-made solutions to God-sized problems. When we try and fix too soon, we give man-made solutions to God-sized problems. Here is so compelling, this story of Lazarus that we just read. The story of Lazarus is so compelling because Jesus, his good friends are going through something. Like his good friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, they, they were part of the crew. And Jesus gets word that Lazarus is sick. Jesus was a friend of Lazarus. So 
I imagine, you know, Mary and Martha, they're like, yo, if we could tell Jesus, we've seen Jesus do stuff to people he halfway knew. Sorry, halfway knew means he barely knew. So I speak in abonic sometimes, so you're just going to have to catch up, okay? You're going you're gonna to come out this church looking more like Jesus and talking a little bit more black at the same time. It's going to be great. 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 But listen, they're like, we, we saw Jesus do things to people that he halfway knew. So surely, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. You know what Jesus does as we look at the text? It says he waited. He waited. Jesus is my, like, I don't, I'm in charge here. I don't need to run in and fix this right now. Lazarus gets sicker and sicker, and then Lazarus dies. Why didn't you come fix it, Jesus? And have y'all, ever, have y'all ever met someone that just showed up late and extremely confident at the same time? Just showed up late, just confidently coming in, right? With a Starbucks in their hand. Because y'all know it was pumpkin spice latte reveal week. How many of y'all got pumpkin spice? Yeah. Some of y'all showed up late to church with your pumpkin spice. And you're welcome here. Jesus shows up late, y'all. And he's God, so you know he's got full confidence. Hey, everybody. Jesus, if you would have been here, Lazarus would have died. Wouldn't have died. Well, nice to see you too, Martha. Jesus shows up late because, oh, man, if, if you have ever journeyed in your faith, if you have ever journeyed through hard things, here's the thing. It's very difficult to get comfortable with Jesus' timing. Because in our quick fix world, in our Amazon Prime world, in our Instacart world, we love to get things quick. And Jesus, not only does he experience this with Martha, now Mary comes. And if you read the text, Mary kind of jolts out fast out of the room. So everyone's like, yo, is Mary going back to see Lazarus? What's going on? Because in that, in that day in Asian culture is they would kind of wait around where the person was buried because there was this expectation that like maybe, maybe they actually weren't dead. So, so Mary gets up fast and people are like, yo, 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 the, Mary's leaving. We got to go with her. So, so now there's an even bigger crowd. And Mary sees Jesus. Same response. Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. It's almost like you can kind of feel the tension in the room. And and you know what I love about Jesus? He's not even tripping about this. He's not even like, Mary, do you know who I am? How are you talking to me like this, right? Imagine the leaders in the world that we deal with today who have so much power and how they leverage that power and abuse it, right? Jesus is like, you can come to me how you really feel. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not phased by this. He's not phased by it. So, so as a pastor and as I'm looking at this, and then Jesus, he does something really incredible. He weeps, and there's a bigger crowd now, and everyone's seeing him weep. And they're saying, wow, he must have really loved this. But 
love this man, Lazarus, but I just think it's really compelling to be like, Jesus, like, you are about to raise him from the dead. Why are you crying? Like, we could have just, you could have cut the Bible down a couple verses and gave somebody a, a, you know, we could have got a two-in-one quiet time. But like, Jesus, why are you crying if you know you're about to raise him from the dead? And you see here, the weeping isn't because Jesus can't fix the problem. He didn't come to fix it right away. He came to actually sit with them. I, he, he came to sit, to say, I want to sit and experience what you're feeling right now. Like the tears that you're sharing, like I want to sit in this burden with you before I'm actually coming to fix it. He models that. How much more us? He's coming to say, you know what? I understand the problem. I understand death. I know it's heavy, but I didn't come to fix this situation for you. I first came to sit in it with you. Y'all, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not quite fully understand this heading into marriage. I know my role was husband, but I was a little bit too uh, full of myself, and I thought my role was also Holy Spirit sometimes. I'm going to be honest. You could be honest. It's a place of being, bringing your person. Right? And, and what I realized about my marriage was, like, my wife does not need me to fix, honestly, any of her problems. She just needs me to, like, sit with her in them. And one of the problems was when, we, when, when people are sitting in pain, when people are sitting in trauma, when they are sitting in hurt, there's a great level of guilt and shame that is the loud, tends to be the loudest voice in their life at that moment. So then when I come in and I'm trying to fix and I'm like, girl, man, what'd they say to you? Shoot, let me get this tool out and let me work that and let me try and figure that out. Let me, well, you know what I read and I'm just, you know, it's like I'm coming in trying to fix and it, it never, man, after a year, I was like, yo, this ain't working. This ain't working. And and I would love to say that, you know, I had great intentions, but I think God was revealing something um, deep down that I had to wrestle with. And it's like, Jay, you know what? You don't like sitting in discomfort. And matter of fact, sometimes you try and rush out of it. And so you give a man-made solution just because you don't want to sit in the discomfort anymore. That's not what Jesus models. And so... My prayer for portrait is that we are not a church just simply is here trying to fix people. We're trying to empathize. And the reasons why I think I struggled back then and the reasons why I think, you know, people struggle to really empathize and not fix is simply because what I said, it makes us uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable to sit in someone else's pain and not only sit in it, say, no, I want to experience it. I need to like, tell me more. How is that making you feel? Tell me about that hurt. Like to sit in it and to embrace it and to say, oh my gosh, that must be heavy. And so for the Christian, we cannot try to rush past these moments of pursuing empathy. Because what I've noticed happens a lot in our world is we then, 
Christians tend to blame other people for what they're struggling to, but the reality is we never really created a safe place to like for them to be open in the first place. So because we don't create safe places, like Jesus created such a place for Mary and Martha to come at him kind of sideways and be like, well, Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. They felt really comfortable to do that. And I think that proximity breeds empathy, but empathy brings intimacy. So proximity breeds empathy, but empathy brings intimacy. One pastor says, into me, see, see into me. It's the ability to see behind the pain, to see behind the persona, to see behind the trauma, to say, man, what is it that you're experiencing that I'm not trying to fix that I want to sit in with? And here's another reason why I think it's hard for Christians not to fix people. And it's real. I don't think this is one that we're often honest about, but this is one that I had to be honest about when it even came to my friendships, when it came to my marriage, even when it comes to me as a parent, is that when you try and fix people in situations all the time, you actually trust yourself more than you trust God. You trust your wisdom more than you trust God's wisdom. You trust more your ways more than you trust his ways. And at the end of the day, if you're being honest, you want to be the hero. You want God to be the hero. To be honest, I wanted to, like, I want my wife to think highly of me. I want my friends to think highly of me. I want people to think highly of me. But if it, if it, if it, if it means that I become the hero, then I am pursuing it the wrong way. And so the problem is, while, me, while we may want to speed through fixing people, God wants to slowly transform them. So he doesn't show up right away. He actually shows up four days late. And not only does he show up four days late, Scripture says later on in that text that it started to smell. It started to smell because Lazarus was dead. And here's the thing about Jesus. He will wait until things get so bad where you no longer can depend on you and you have to depend on him. He will wait until things smell really, really bad in your life, like it's dead, he will wait. And here's the thing. He's totally okay with you being like, where are you? Why are you taking so long? Why haven't you? He's okay. His shoulders are big enough to carry that. But he will, ha- he will wait until it's like, oh, okay. Are you done with your way? And here's, here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. Catch it, catch it. It's not out of shame and condemnation. What Jesus is doing, he said, oh, man. Isn't that tiring? Isn't that, isn't that exhausting? It, you know, I come from a Hispanic household. I love my grandma when she was here. Bless her. One of, the things, one of the things about my grandma that was really funny is I would see my grandma on a Tuesday, and then I'd see her on a Friday. Mijo, why don't you talk to me? Where have you been? My mom's laughing because she knows it's true. Like, Grandma, like, I would love to kind of come into your presence and not always feel guilty, even though I just saw you two days ago and brought you food that was half my paycheck. Right? And, and it's funny. I know it was out of love and some of it's cultural. But here's the thing about Jesus. He's not looking at you like, where have you been? What he's doing is he's saying, man, that must be exhausting. I'm glad you're here because I've been waiting for you. You've been trying to carry that your whole life. 
and it's exhausting. You've been dealing with that pain, and it's exhausting. I'm here. I'm glad you're here. And so empathy is not fixing. And this is another one that I think is very timely for our culture that we need to understand. Empathy is also not approval. Empathy is not fixing. Empathy is also not approval. In order for me to empathize with you does not mean that I have to agree with you. Does not mean that I have, that's the problem with society right now. If we could just understand this and if we could just see how Jesus models this, I can empathize with you, but that doesn't mean I need to approve of you. You don't believe me? Look at what Jesus did. Jesus gets to the scene. He knows what he's about to do, and he sits and he weeps. He sits with them. But some theologians argue that, yes, while his tears are displaying empathy, they also mean something more. In verse 33, there's this phrase that says, when Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who had come alongside her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That phrase, deeply moved in spirit and troubled. When you see that phrase translated in other New Testament passages, there's a, there's like a stern warning or even like a rebuke there. Because here, catch this. He's weeping to show empathy, but they also think that he's weeping at the reality of his friends that they didn't believe that he could do what he said he would do. He's looking around and saying, hold on, didn't I I just send back word that he wasn't going to die? Haven't y'all seen me heal people? You sent for me. And Jesus is looking at his friends, and I do think he is saddened by death, and he's saddened by the reality of this moment. But I also think you can make a case that he's looking around saying, you know what? Show me where you laid him. Show me to the place where you stopped believing I could do what you know I can do. Take me there. See, Jesus is weeping but he doesn't agree that Lazarus is dead. He simply doesn't agree. He doesn't agree fully what they're crying about, but he still empathizes with us because empathy doesn't require agreement. And as a Christian, we are called to empathize with people. We are called to empathize in such a way, y'all ever meet someone who empathizes and then it's like, I told you not to date Jimmy. I guess I, I wish I wasn't, I, I wish I was wrong, but I told you not to. And here you are, when you're kind of stuck in this situation, now you're eating up all my ice cream, drinking up all my wine or cranberry juice. Don't be putting our portrait out in the street talking about wine, I'm just saying. It's in the Bible, just... I think we're recording too, so we won't put that one on there. Just in case, just in case, just in case, just in case. So, yo, I, I told you that pyramid scheme, told you it was a scheme. You still wanted to die. I told you. You, you really thought they were going to pay you that much money to put that wrap around your car? Like, I told you. I told you. That's not, that's not empathy. 
Empathy doesn't try to, again, you're trying to make yourself feel right when God is trying to transform people through their pain. And the problem is, as Christians, I'm not, if you don't follow the way of Jesus, you don't call Jesus your, your Lord, this is not for you. But for, for my fellow Christians in the room, I think one of the problems is, is we are so big about our convictions. Oh, we are so big about our convictions. I just need you to know everything I believe and how I believe. And it's all over your Facebook, your Instagram, your retweet. We are so, we got, we got massive convictions and microscopic compassion. We got massive convictions. And, and, our, and our empathy looks sort of like this. Let me, can I, can I sit with you? And I'll just, I'll, let me drape you with that empathy. But man, let me tell you about who you are and what you do. I don't even like the way you look. I don't even like the way you vote. I don't even like the way you believe. You posted that? I can't believe you. That's not, no. Let me tell you about truth. See, the thing is, what, I, what I'm seeing is, is it, can I be honest? Most people know what Christians believe. You could just ask chat GPT. I mean, you, most, most people know what Christians believe. It's, it's how you hold your belief. It's how you hold your belief that, that is able to, to draw people in to say, no, I, I'm going to empathize with you. And I just think it's sad often when, when people and communities know way more about our convictions than our compassion. A pastor and friend of mine, uh, Rich Velotis, he says this, it is a really curious evangelism strategy to despise the people you are trying to bring to Jesus. Very curious. <laughs> and I think this is true because we have to be very conscious and aware of the content that you're taking in, of the voices that you're listening to, of the people that are forming you, because what you give your attention to is forming you. And so here's the thing, is if we are not careful, we begin to give our attention to people who want us to practice the way of this party, of that political party, or of that influence, or of that worldview, and not the way of Jesus. And so we have to be very careful because anything that you or I watch or take in that makes you feel good about loving your neighbor less is probably godless. Think about it. Anything that's making you feel good that you watch and it makes you look at other people with great disdain and great hatefulness and you begin to dehumanize other people because so-and-so that has this platform told you everything you need to know about them, apparently. We need to be careful about what we intake because it is going to form you into a person who maybe know about Jesus, but actually don't practice or live out his ways. And that's what I want us to be at Portrait. Can I be honest with you? I, I want us to be a church who's like, you know what? You're struggling. Here, I'm going to bring you truth, but I want to bring you so much compassion. I'm not going to, when I sit with you, the truth that I have to give you, if you don't hold that same truth or belief, I'm not going to hold you to it. But that doesn't mean I can't drape you with compassion. That doesn't mean I can't drape you with empathy. We may not have the same view of marriage or sexuality, but that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that we can't be friends. 
That doesn't mean that we can't go to Eureka Burger and get a double smack. That doesn't mean that we can't do that. I want to drape you with compassion. Do you know why? It's because as a follower of Jesus, my king stepped off his throne and we didn't live the same way. We didn't hold true to all the same beliefs because we were sinners and still full of sin, yet you saw me worthy enough to wrap your son's blood around me. To wrap your son's blood, to cover me because you knew I couldn't do it by myself. We, we want to be that as a church where people who are coming and struggling can just be wrapped and be comforted and to say, you, as to, to, I love how Tamara put it, you are dignified. And here's the thing. I still don't have to agree with you, but it's not my job to fix you. It's not. It's the Spirit's job to transform you. And here's the thing, just so y'all know, like, I can drape you with compassion and still have the word on my side. Right, so for y'all, they're gonna step away and be like, well, they just only talking about compassion and they're not talking about truth. It's still here. It's still on the hip. On the left side, some of y'all, some of y'all knew where I was. All the black people got it. They was like, oh, okay, Snoop. Um, it's still there. The truth is on the left side. It's the best side. It's the holy side. It's still there. I haven't let it go. And I still can wrap you with compassion. I still can sit and empathize with you and still have truth that I believe Jesus is the way. The way of Jesus is, is to give you fullness of life. The way of Jesus is to give you the best life of human flourishing, his way. And so empathy is not fixing. Empathy is not agreement. And lastly, empathy does not come from your strength. It comes from God's spirit. Empathy does not come from your strength. It comes from God's spirit. Notice the words that Jesus said to Mary. He says, he said this to Martha. Your brother will rise again. I know he's going to Jesus at, when the resurrection comes. See, she, was, she, she, she had an interpretation that was very true that people knew about back then in the, in the way that they studied the, the law and scripture. But what Jesus does is he comes to flip the whole thing. He's like, no, 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 Martha. Check it. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. The one who believes in me will live. And even though they die, and whoever lives by belie believing in me will never die. He's like, no, no, no. We're not just going to talk about him being resurrection. We're going to talk about me being the resurrection. I am the resurrection. You see, what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is on a kingdom mission from his father. And that mission ends in death. And what he's doing in this moment is he's giving people a precursor. Oh, you thought Lazarus was dead? Let me tell you about what I'm about to do. And as soon as Lazarus raises from the dead, all the religious people are like, begin plotting to kill him. Because now Jesus' power is on complete, full display. He is the resurrection. He is the life. It even says in the beginning of the text that it was risky for Jesus to go back. 
They're like, Jesus, are you sure you want to go there? You could be stoned. I'm living out my father's mission. I got a friend I got to resurrect because I'm going to give him a taste of what I'm going to do. And this spirit that resurrected Lazarus, Jesus, this spirit that, that Jesus uh, that embodies when he raises himself from the dead. Romans 8, it says that same spirit lives in you. If you call yourself a follower, it says that same spirit, that same power, it lives in you. In the, in the dead parts of your life, in the foul-smelling areas of your life where there is just complete death, there needs to be a resurrection of peace, of, of kindness, of goodness, of joy. The, the impurity, the idolatry, the hatred, the discord, the jealousy, the fits of rage, selfish ambition, trying to make a name only for yourself, envy, division, all these things are ways of the world. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, it says that we get new life. And this new life means that we now live a new way. And this new way means that we could sit and empathize with people because we understand that God did the same thing for us every single day. When you fell short and you were envying someone else, when you were rude to someone else, when you lied, when you were looking at pornography, when you were doing these things of cheating and, and being dishonest, and you call yourself a Christian, you know that those things, if you, if you say, God, I'm really sorry I was headed that way. I'm trying to go your way. He covers you with his grace. He covers you with his love. He covers you with compassion. So how much more now can you take this message, you take this empathy, you take this love, and you give it to people who are in desperate need of it? How much more in such a time as this? And so... My hope is that when you step into portrait, when you step into this space, this community, that you leave spiritually alive. You, you leave alive in such a way that you have not felt alive before. That you come into this space, many of you struggling with addiction, and you just needed a community to walk with you. You're struggling with your sexual identity, your sexuality. And we want to be a space that's walking with you. Like, I get messages all the time. Can I'm gay. Can I show up here? Yes. We want to walk with you in the way of Jesus. The goal is not heterosexuality. The goal is holiness. I'm trying to figure out how to be holy. I got four kids under the age of six. God has shown me I'm not holy, <laughs> okay? We're trying to pursue the way of Jesus. And so to the one who's here that has been divorced and the church has looked at you with some level of disdain, they haven't dignified, we want to walk with you. The single mom who's here, which we know there's a lot of them in and around the area, we want to walk with you. We want to befriend you. 
We want to let you know that we're not judging you. We, we don't know your story. We want to know your story. We want to help you. We want to come alongside of you. To the single person who's been told by the church that your fulfillment is only going to come when you get married, can I tell you that's a lie? We want to walk with you to live out the fullness of who God's called you to be in his kingdom and in his way, not ours.